0: This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church, located in Mequon, Wisconsin. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please visit our website, myabc.church. Life comes at us fast, doesn't it? Sometimes at a blinding speed. In fact, uh, it oftentimes comes and goes so fast that it just seems random, like a hockey player running into your car. And it just doesn't make any sense, right? Happiness seems random. Tragedy can seem just as random. Life in general, sometimes it just seems random and at times confusing. It can leave us wondering and questioning about whether or not we really know what's going on here. What this is all about. Uh, and I think that oftentimes pain seems to heighten and intensify that kind of wondering. Life comes at us fast and our pain oftentimes seems like the most random part of it. More random at least than anything else. And in my experience this can leave us oftentimes Confused, wondering, what is really going on here? And any one of us at any time of life, especially during a a more painful season, can have that nagging question of what is really happening, what's really going on, what is this about? Um, I think back to a, a friend of mine uh, named Kevin Hoy. Kevin uh, was an extremely talented and likable guy. Uh, he had a background in engineering and sales, and so he he had, eventually he just did really well for himself with that being likable, talented, just everything kind of fit together for him. And he ended up uh, being so successful that he bought the majority share in a company and became the CEO of uh, of his own company. And uh, he was, you know, working tirelessly at this. You know, he's just, you know, sacrificing a lot to be able to make this enterprise happen. Uh, they made it through the, the hard years of 08, 09, survived that. And they began to really climb to the top. And so finally, in 2013, they were just soaring. You know, they just had this amazing year. And it felt like they were on top of the world. You know, that feeling when everything, you know, all eight cylinders are firing, he was there. About 12 months after that, they ended up starting to have problems getting the equipment that they manufactured out to their clients. And as this, you know, started to happen more and more, uh, Kevin began digging into it and began finding out that it was because certain people weren't getting paid. Uh, you know, these parts weren't getting paid for, so they weren't getting any more parts. Uh, This kept on happening, and as he dug into it with his uh, chief financial officer, he began to realize that she was mismanaging the money. She was mismanaging the bills. And in fact, she had things messed up. She had it all twisted up. And quickly, Kevin is realizing this more and more comes to his partners, lets them know what's going on, and as the rest of the information comes out, they all realize it's sunk. And in a flash, they have to declare bankruptcy. Party's over. And according to Kevin's contract, he was left with the bag. He was left holding the bag and walking through the two-year process of bankruptcy. But Kevin would share with you that the most painful part was not having to let go of the 65 employees that he had hired. It wasn't the crippling financial loss and the loss of everything that he had sacrificed, the family time and and just the relationships and some of his own health and so forth to make this thing happen. He would share with you that the most painful part was the realization that he had failed and that he was ultimately responsible for the failure. He was a leader and he realized it. And it all seemed to happen for him so fast. It was, seemed so meaningless, random. And the pain and the confusion it brought in was heavy. You know, the randomness of our pain it's both potent and genuine. Even as Christians, you know, we, this, is, this is deeply painful. We, we experience these things in life. And we're left wondering that question of why. Why? And what's next? And ultimately, we wonder, what's going on? What's really the point to all of this? As one of my favorite authors once put it, for most of us, life feels like a movie we arrived at 45 minutes late. Something important seems to be going on, maybe. I mean, good things do happen, sometimes beautiful things. You meet someone, fall in love, you find a work that is yours alone to fulfill, but tragic things happen too. You fall out of love, or perhaps the other person falls out of love with you. Work begins to feel like punishment. Everything starts to feel like an endless routine. If there is meaning to this life, then why does it seem like our days are so random? What is the drama we've been dropped into the middle of? If there is a God, what sort of story is he telling? At some point, we begin to wonder if Macbeth wasn't right after all, that life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Friends, when it comes to pain, this is an issue we need to face. We need to examine the randomness of our pain, loss, frustration, It's simply life. I mean, you know, we know how this fits together, you know, from an atheistic or a deistic point of view. It's just random. It's just chance, all right? What happens, happens. That's all there is to so it. There's no meaning. There's nothing going on here. But if we believe in God, in, in the God of the Bible— then what are we to make of pain? How are we to understand it? This morning, I want to share with you something that's not so much an action to do, as much as it is an insight to remember. That I believe is incredibly helpful as we deal with this issue, and it's, it's not the end-all be-all, but I think we'll find it helpful. We see it this morning. It's in the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter Thirty-seven. If you have your Bibles or your tablets, turn there with me. We'll, we'll be going through quite a bit of Scripture this morning. Um, if you haven't been here for the other messages in this series, uh, you can find them on the website or on a CD out there. But in a nutshell, Genesis here, this is the book of beginnings. I know you, you have no clue about that. Um, as you look at the giant word behind me. And in this chapter, we have the final turn of events for the book. If you were one of the ancient Israelites, the, uh, the original audience for this book, this would have been the segment of Genesis that you would have found the most relevant for your life. Having just finished up being a slave in Egypt, coming out of that, you would have been wondering, why did all of those horrible things happen to me and my family back in Egypt? That would have been a question on your mind. And it's incredibly relevant, then, for us as we consider the same question, the seemingly random and confusion and the pain of our lives. So let's take a look at this first piece as we survey the first half of the life of Joseph. Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. And these were the generations of Jacob. All right, so in other words, this is the story of Jacob's Family, Joseph, all right, the chief character in this section, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Belah and Zopah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. All right, so that is his brothers. Dan, Nafalti, Gad, and Asher weren't doing their job of watching the sheep very well. All right, and so for all those sibling rivalries out there, just so you know, Father Abraham, uh, Father Jacob here, I mean, he doesn't take this as tattling, all right? So score one for us younger brothers. And, um, and you can see this because Joseph is then given more oversight, not less oversight in the family business, all right? Verse three, now Israel, that is Jacob's other name, Jacob, loved Joseph, more than any of his other sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. Right, this is a symbol of special love, trust, and authority. So remember this robe. Uh, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So catch that then. It's not Jacob's bad report about a couple of the brothers but it is the favoritism of his father that Joseph has no control over, right? It's the favoritism of his father that lands him in trouble with his brothers, lands him in their hatred and unable to speak even peacefully to him. And what we begin to see right here is we begin to see something that develops in the first half of Joseph's story, and that's that Joseph is not the cause, but the object throughout this first half of the story, Joseph isn't causing things to happen. They are happening to him that he's not able to do a whole lot about. So note that. Verse 5. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. They said to him, he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves. That's a Bundle of wheat or barley uh, in a field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers, which seems kind of like a bad idea. In light of what it happened last time, but, you know, us younger brothers, you know, just kind of let our mouths run sometimes. Anyways, but, um, but who knows? Maybe it's hard to shut up something that maybe God is speaking to you. But anyways, he says, Behold, I have a dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him, and he said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? You obviously have a lot of control over the kind of dreams you're dreaming, Joseph. Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Note again here, Joseph is the object of these dreams. All right? He doesn't even offer actually an interpretation of them himself. He's not causing them, he's the object of them. Why? Why? Because God is at work in his story, shaping it. These dreams are from God, right? God is initiating something here. And as we see with the rest of the story in light of it, God is bringing about something from the beginning of Joseph's story that God had a purpose for him. And Joseph doesn't know it. He has no clue. He has no say in it either. But God had a purpose and we are, meant to, we are meant to see that. I mean, from the very onset of this story, it's, it's right out here at the beginning for us that through these dreams, God had a purpose that it, as he describes a, a kind of double dream like this later on, something that is fixed and will be brought about quickly. And why do we need to see that? Well, maybe because of the random, fast, and hard Pain that Joseph is about to experience. This all happens very fast in this chapter. As the story moves forward, we learn that Joseph's brother, uh, their anger has hit a boiling point, point. and so as his father sends him out on to another uh, checkup mission, seeing how his brothers are doing, their anger reaches a point of action. In verse 18, we read, They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. It should be followed by evil laughter there. As the youngest of four boys, I can honestly say that even though I ratted out my older brothers plenty of times, I never actually thought that they would kill me, probably. Might throw me in a well though. Now, although Joseph's brothers don't actually kill him in their hatred, although they would have, they do throw him into a deep pit, which also kind of becomes a bit of a picture, a metaphor for where Joseph's life is at from this moment on. And then he's sold from here as a slave for 20 pieces of silver. And his brothers fake his death to their father using the same robe, the very symbol of his father's love and of their hatred. And so we have what we have is a pit and a robe. So in the midst of this mayhem and chaos, we find that the exact opposite of Joseph's dreams have occurred He's gone from being a beloved son, destined to reign, to being a suffering slave. Friends, the exact opposite of what was spoken over Joseph, what were those dreams were all about, that's what's happened. If that's not random, I don't know what is this is the opposite happening. This seems fast, seems out of control. If there was a point, it's been lost, replaced with pain. What it looks like is like that Macbeth was right. Life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. You know that feeling, don't you? We know that feeling, that this is all pointless. Life is just Painful, random. You can only imagine then how acutely Joseph must have felt that as he is bound and marching his way down to Egypt. That's why this next part is so jarring for us. we pick up Joseph's story a chapter later, over in chapter 39, when we're going to pick it up here in the first verse, we simply aren't prepared for this verse. It seems like an opposite says in verse 1, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. And here it is, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph? Are you kidding me? Doesn't seem to be working out so well. I don't know about you, but my first reaction to suffering is, where was God? It wouldn't have happened, right, if he had been around. In our minds, God's presence means blessing, good times. Ergo, his absence means suffering. That's true, right? God's presence means blessing, his absence, right? We talk about hell being the absence of God, right? Suffering, suffering. As simple as that sounds though, that's oftentimes how we're thinking about it and oftentimes that's the end of our thinking of it. We don't see his presence as a constant that can be there through blessing and through suffering. We see it in our minds as a variable, something that seems to dip in and out depending on what's happening. That's our thinking. We don't have a category in our mind for God being intimately involved in the painful details of our lives. We don't see it that way oftentimes. But what we need to begin drawing out of this story is the pain. It's the legitimate pain that Joseph is the object of, but that God is present in. Again, Joseph is not the cause. He is the object of this. In fact, as we look at the pain here, We kind of begin to wonder, how far down does this rabbit hole go? Because what happens next is that Joseph gets accused of rape, and then he is thrown into prison. And then we read that he is forgotten for years. And the only thing we're told is that God is with Joseph. That's it. For 13 years, what we primarily see in Joseph's life, what we primarily see is pain in God's presence. Pain in God's presence. Joseph's life is is in the pits, figuratively and literally. And At the same time, God is with him in his pit. But as is often the case, more is going on here than meets the eye. God's purpose has been on the move. And just as fast as he ended up in the pit, another unimaginable collision occurs. Something that, again, it's out of left field. And things come together in chapter 41 as, uh, excuse me, as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, it's that turkey coming back to me. uh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, he calls on Joseph. Look at chapter 41 with me, verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly, catch this, brought him out of the pit. He's in prison, but the words of, they, he brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said that you, when you hear a dream can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. After all this time then, all this pain, Joseph still trusts in the Lord. He goes on here then to interpret these two dreams and what he explains is that God is going to be sending seven years of plenty like the world has never known, like Egypt has never known, it's amazing abundance. And that's gonna be followed though by seven years of famine that the crops are gonna be completely decimated and it's gonna be a famine like the world has never known. And we have next year that he ventures even further to offer a solution. The Pharaoh is so impressed that he says in verse 38, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? You want that set of you? I do, that's amazing. Compliment statement right out of the mouth of Pharaoh. Can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh, catch this, took his signet ring from his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Joseph is literally called out of the pit and given a new and better robe. Friends, Joseph's pain met God's purpose. Joseph's pain met God's purpose, and as a follower of Jesus Christ, one who has the presence of God consistently with them, we need to see that too, that our pain has a purpose. Our pain has a purpose. Our pain, in fact, though, has a God-sized purpose. With God, the tragedies of our life have a purpose. They aren't random or meaningless. Don't believe that lie for a minute. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is deeply involved in the details of your life, including the painful ones. Nothing in this world has escaped God's attention. Yes, we live in a broken world where sin has horribly messed things up, And no, we don't usually get clear understanding as to why everything happens, a clear and specific purpose for why this happened. We don't oftentimes get that. And yes, we have an enemy who is bent on our destruction, but none of it is beyond God's control. None of it is beyond his reach. And instead, in the midst of our pain, he promises to work out a good and noble purpose that is his alone, and he neither consults us on it, nor does he rarely share the particulars of it, and yet we know he has a purpose. Joseph's story is a living, breathing example of that truth. As C.S. Lewis pointed out in his book, A Grief Observed, a book he wrote after the loss of his wife, pointing out the tension between pain and purpose Lewis wrote this, "'But suppose that you were up against a surgeon whose intentions are wholly good. The kinder and more conscientious he is, the more inexorably he will go on cutting. If he yielded to your entreaties, if he stopped before the operation was complete, all the pain up until that point would have been useless.'" What do people mean? This is why he goes on to say. What do people mean when they say, I'm not afraid of God because I know he is good? Have they never been to a dentist? It's a humorous illustration, but accurate. Our God is a good doctor. Our pain has a purpose. Even if it will forever be unbeknownst to us. And God, in his goodness, will not forfeit it out of his goodness, his kindness. But Let's consider it closer. Think about this first part with me. Think about our pain. Remember the kind of pain that's going on in here in Joseph's story. It's it's pain where he's the object of it. He's not causing it. He's unable to fix it. It's, and that's not a description for all of our pain, but it's the kind of pain that's found in Joseph's story, and it's certainly found in our story as well. As I was preparing uh, for this message, I, uh, I was reminded through a meeting actually, that uh, l- a little over a year ago, um, I was uh, involved in uh, burying my grandfather, who I was very close with, who I looked up to. He was uh, a pastor. With, uh, for 44 years, ordained with the Christian Missionary Alliance, and he left a, a deep impression on my, my, uh, my upbringing, my, my heart, my soul. And certainly with the loss of a grandparent, there's, there's some natural expectation, right? There's some, there's some of that that's expected to happen. Um, but death is never easy. It's never natural. And it always matters. Always. Every single time. And uh, we, were, we were having a meeting here where uh, we were um, talking about funeral plan that was happening right here uh, at our, our church. And um, during the meeting, I'm suddenly having a, just a wave of emotion hit me, a flashback of planning my grandfather's funeral. Uh, now, that's not the kind of thing you let on in the middle of meeting and helping somebody else plan their you know, a, a funeral for somebody that they love. Um, but for me, it was a potent reminder about how Our pain is powerful. Pain is powerful, friends. And even if we know that God has a good purpose in the midst of it, it's still potent. It still has weight. And that's why the the temptation to medicate it is so strong. And the more painful it is, the stronger that temptation is to go somewhere else with our pain, to lose track of any sort of purpose. Joseph uh, certainly could have chosen that path. He could have. He could have elevated his pain and gotten his eyes off of God and ditched his faith. Many would say it wasn't working for him, anyways, right? At least in human estimation. He could have done something else. He could have decided uh, on his own that he was going to decide what the purpose of his pain was, he was going to assign his own purpose. He also could have tried something else. He could have tried to ignore it altogether. Or he could have tried to medicate it specifically with an affair, right? In chapter 39, he gets that opportunity to head off in a different direction with his pain. And we can all face it and be honest that any of these options are appealing when we're in pain. And if it wasn't for God's kindness, that would be the best set of options that we would have to choose from. That's the best we could do. But friends, we serve a God who never wastes something as precious as pain. And when we realize how precious it is, the emptiness of all those approaches come into view. That we could take something as precious as pain and stuff it or ignore it or idolize it. that just doesn't make sense. Not when God offers something more. As you think about that, Consider this, what is the connecting dot between our pain and purpose? It's God himself, it's his presence. That's why God's presence is so key, not just in this text, but in our life. Ask yourself this, is there anybody in all of scripture that God has ever used in some significant way that didn't also experience great pain? The short answer is no. No, every man of God, every woman of God in the scriptures that was used greatly experienced pain deeply. So what you and I do with our pain, it really matters. It matters to you and it matters to God and it matters to this world. Whatever pain you've been through, whether you feel like you understand it or not, Your first choice, not your last choice, but your first one should be to realize that God wants to use it. God is growing you and trusting him through it. And those aren't the simple answers, but those are part of it. It's not just recognizing our pain, but recognizing God's presence in it and responding by coming to the feet of Jesus. We need to begin recognizing and welcoming Jesus's presence in our pain. Friends, we so oftentimes never get to know why. The purpose of our pain, beyond it being part of what God is doing, is often a mystery. I don't know why that surgery had to happen with our son. I don't know why we lost him. I don't know why that that didn't pan out. But knowing why is not what we need. What we need, first and foremost, is Jesus and his presence in the midst of our pain. And certainly that's not the last step, but that is the first step. We need to sit in his presence. That's what Job needed. That's what the Psalmists claim again and again and again. They claim that the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And for those who know your name, put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Then and only then can we begin to come to terms with what God has done, with what God has done in this world, with what God's redemption is in the midst of doing, that there is a pure and a holy and a just purpose And it's even in our pain that God can work through anything. He is not limited. His reach is not limited. As we see that truth in the story of Joseph, that even though his brothers are making horrible choices, things that we can't even imagine doing, God is working and he is not stopped even by the choices of others. Fathers of Jesus Christ, we know that we're a part of a bigger story. One that deeply matters, and not only does this story show a beautiful collision of of God's purpose and Joseph's pain in the rescue of the Jews, and the rescue of the world from a famine, but shows us a much deeper purpose. It shows us that, that this story isn't just about Joseph. It's also a picture of Jesus. That there would someday be a beloved son who would suffer deeply who would be cast into a pit, but would be called back out of that pit to save the Jewish people in the world. Jesus is the true and better Joseph. And friends, I gotta tell you, when I was studying this passage and I saw that, it just astounded me. It astounded me that in the midst of deep pain and hardship that I can't even imagine, God was at work bringing about a purpose that we could never imagine that we would never see until he brought it about. That God had a purpose and in the fullness of time, he himself brought it about. It was absolutely stunning. And the the fact that God has invited you and I to share in that same story that as a beloved son, as a beloved daughter, he will redeem our pain and use it in his mission to rescue many so that we can join with the scripture in saying, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that we know that for those who love God, all things work according to his good. All things work together for good for those who are called according to what? To his purpose. What my friend Kevin didn't know While he was in the midst of his pain He didn't know it until God blindsided him one day Uh, In Kevin's company There was a woman who uh, was working there And uh, she was a a follower of Christ She was a Christian She attended the church uh, That I was uh, serving at prior to coming here And she had been faithfully inviting Kevin Through this, you know, ordeal to join her to come to church with her uh, and her family. And uh, Kevin, of course, you know, said no, 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 no thanks. That kind of thing. uh, Until he was on a road trip up uh, to upstate New York and he was listening on the radio and a radio preacher by the name of uh, Charles Stanley came on. And as he was listening, uh, the pastor began to share the gospel message. And as Kevin would describe it, it just clicked. It just clicked finally. It, it made sense to me. And uh, and so about a month later, Kevin wandered his way into our church, sat up in the bleacher section of this huge auditorium, and uh, and that's where I met him. And after getting to know him a little bit, I invited him to grab a cup of coffee. And um, as I got to know his story, I... Uh, decided I was going to take a risk. and I was going to invite him to be a part of a group that I was creating for people who were starting and returning to faith in Jesus Christ. And as he got to know his story, I'll never forget when he, you know, in his New Yorker, you know, style, you know, began to describe things and began to explain how he, he got it now. That all of that pain, that if all that pain hadn't happened, he would never have ended up here. And that that didn't fix it, but as he said, it helps. Watching Kevin get baptized was a beautiful day. Watching what God did in his life was absolutely beautiful. And it was a reminder to me that the purpose belongs to God. And I have no idea where it will ultimately end up. I have no idea where the pain will eventually land. I have no idea where that choice will ultimately cross a finish line. We have no idea. But it's not up to us to control the purpose. It's not up to us to control the outcome. It was up to us to enter into the presence of God in the midst of it, knowing that it wasn't random and that in God's plan, our pain, it always has a purpose. And as hard as that message is to hear sometimes, as hard as it is for us to allow it to stay and not to push that message away, it's what we need. We need to be reminded it from the story of Joseph. So that even if we went through a Thanksgiving dinner where we were reminded of a year of pain, we were able to give thanks to God, knowing that he has a purpose and he's in the business of bringing it Amen? Let's pray. Father, for some of us in here tonight, Father, this message is bringing up some wounds. Wounds that we need your your healing touch on that we can't can't handle. Father, help us to lean into your presence, to take time to sit in it, to not feel as if we have to have the answer any longer but to simply trust you with it, to know that we need you. And as your word says, that you are the God of all comfort. Come and comfort us, Lord. Comfort the pain, the losses, the searing losses. Father, come and comfort those. Help us not to make our pain delegitimate. Help us to not lift it up too high, but help us to hand it over that we could rest it in your hands, not knowing what the outcome will be, but knowing that you are good and that your plan will ultimately bring about your kingdom's good. And we trust you, Lord, for you are our Savior and our God. And we pray those things in your mighty and matchless name, in the name of Jesus and all God's people said,